0: All right, hopefully you are with me in Hebrews chapter 10. Today we conclude our series on the disciplined life, and our theme verse has been 2 Timothy 2.15, which says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, and we've discuss the importance of understanding in light of that verse that first and foremost we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it's according to his mercy that he saves us. It's critical that we understand that we are saved by grace, not by works, because we could be tempted to think that if we live a disciplined life, somehow God will love us more. Or perhaps we could earn our salvation or secure our salvation or earn it by doing these good things. And that's not the case. Our, our motivation for living a disciplined life is so that God the Father will be glorified. Our desire should be to let our light shine bright so that others may see our good works so that we can give glory to our Father who is in heaven. And, And we understand this, that God, we are God's workmanship. We were created in Christ Jesus for good works that we should walk in them. God has laid them out for us to walk in them. So really living the disciplined life is a life lived to the glory of God. Our good works do matter. Thus, we should strive to live a disciplined life. And this morning, we are going to talk about the disciplined life in light of the church. At first thought, you might ask, why would I consider the church to be part of a disciplined life? The reason I'm finishing with this is because I don't want to assume that everyone here values the church. And I'm speaking specifically to The gathering of the local church. After all, isn't, you know, some people would argue that do we really need to gather? Because aren't we supposed to be about the kingdom of God? And I, I could just have me in Jesus. Isn't that all that matters? Isn't it just about advancing the kingdom of God? To that, I would say yes. Ultimately, it is about that. So if that's the case, Isn't being part of the local church no big deal then? Well, I think that is a question if we're asking it, we need to take seriously. And if we're going to ask that question, then we need to look at the Word of God to find the answer to that. So this morning is going to look a little bit differently than normal. Usually I like to to work through a book, but you know we've been going through series and looking at different passages of Scripture. We're going to look at several different Scriptures today today. And the main, main text that we're going to look at is Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, so let me read that for us now as we jump in to the Word. It says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the reminder this morning, Lord, as we head into full-on Christmas season. So many distractions that can come our way that will lead us to think about gifts and family. And certainly, Lord, those are enjoyable gifts that you've given us, Lord. But ultimately, I pray, Lord, I thank you for the reminder this morning that The cup was not removed. Jesus drank your full wrath that was intended for us, and yet you've rescued us. So, Lord, protect us from going through this season without remembering Christ and his sacrifice. And, Lord, this morning, I thank you for the gift of the local church I thank you for the gift of believers coming together regularly to encourage one another. And Lord, if there be anybody here who who belittles the local church, I pray that you would challenge them this morning, that they would think hard and deep and pray and seek your word out on what it has to say about the call to discipline our lives and make the church part of that discipline. God, you have called for us to meet together, not to neglect it. Even far more than that, Lord, not just to be in the proximity of one another, but to, but to be committed to one another. And so, Lord, I pray that you would challenge us this morning. I pray that you would encourage us. So, Lord, use my words this morning to bring glory to your name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as we talk about the disciplined life in light of the church in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, here's the first thing I want us to understand. God calls for Christians to meet together. God calls for Christians to meet together. Here we read that there's this call to stir up one another, and that can only sufficiently happen when we meet together. Thus, the reason the author tells us not to neglect meeting together. And some people have the bad habit of not meeting Some have given up the habit or some have taken it lightly and come to church when they feel like it and and don't prioritize it. And and what the author of Hebrews is saying is like, do not neglect the meeting together. We were created for community, weren't we? We were created to be with one another. It was ingrained in us from creation. Consider what Genesis 2.18 says. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Men, is it not true that we need other people around us to help us? This is not specifically only speaking to husbands and wives, but also the fact that it's not good for any of us to be alone. Because we make fools of ourselves if we take ourselves away. In fact, studies show that people are dramatically affected by a lack of interaction with other people. Have you ever heard of King Frederick's experiments? He was a German king in the 13th century, and he conducted a, an experiment intended to discover what language children would naturally grow up to speak if they were never spoken to. And of course he thought, well, for sure it would be German. So, King Frederick took babies from their mothers at birth and placed them in the care of nurses who were forbidden to speak in their hearing. But a second rule was imposed as well the nurses were not allowed to touch the infants. To his great dismay, Frederick's experiment was cut short, but not before something tragically significant regarding human nature was revealed. As you may have guessed, the babies grew up to speak no language at all because all of them died. You you see in that experiment, we need each other. We need community. We need people around us to survive. In fact, studies show when, when, when children are raised up in orphanages and there's not enough people to go around to hold the babies. They grow up with significant mental issues, significant issues because of the lack of interaction with other people. Brothers and sisters, it is not good to be alone. And as Christians, we are called not to give up meeting together. And we see the idea of meeting together all throughout Scripture. We see this understanding that we are called to be with one another. Consider the analogies of members of a body. Romans 12, 4 and 5 says this, For as In one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. You know the passage where it goes on to say, like, the ear can't say to the eye, we don't need you, or things like that. We can't say to each other, we don't need you. And the body can't live separate from each other. You can't have a hand survive away from the body. You can't have a foot survive if it's not connected to the body. We need one another. We are connected one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 says this very similar thing. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. We are one body. We are members one of another so, so let me ask you, are you committed to the gathering of believers? Are you committed to the local church to meet regularly, to be encouraging one another? God calls us to be in community I'm thankful for, for parents who who raised me to commit to gathering as a church and it was not an option when Nikki and I got together that we would continue that commitment. Yes, even before I was a pastor, God calls for us to meet together. But listen, it's not just about the act of meeting together, is it? It's about how we meet together. Look again at verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good deeds. 25, the end goes, encourage one another. Here, here's what I want us to understand this morning. Not only we called to gather together, but we are called to commit to one another. God calls us to commit to one another. We are to stir up one another to his love and good deeds. We are to encourage one another. So it's not just about showing up. But it's about getting involved in the lives of others. Proximity doesn't equal community. Community comes when we commit to one another. If there is one thing the early church understood, it was that they really needed each other. Do you know the cost, potentially, of early Christians in, the, in shortly after Jesus died, what the sacrifice could be for them? Certainly, in countries around the world still today, there can be a cost. It could cost you your reputation. Often what they would do is is they would visit believers who were in prison, and that visit would bring shame to your name because you were associating yourself with criminals in the eyes of the people that put them in there. And... Philippians 1.7, Paul tells the Philippians that they were partakers of God's grace in his imprisonment. What does that mean? It means that often what would happen, these believers would go visit Paul in prison. Meanwhile, people would break into their homes and their property would be plundered, all for the sake of, the, of, of loving their fellow believers who were in prison. Now, that, that is a different level of commitment, wouldn't you say? I mean, how many of you would be like, hey, Ben, I would love to come visit you in prison for the sake of the gospel. That's why you're there. But you know what, bro? I just got this new TV on Black Friday, and I'm afraid somebody might swipe it. And so i got to protect my property. But hey, I'll be praying for you, all right? Like, No, they understood here that they desperately needed one another. And I think that is something that gets lost in our culture today. Like, do we really understand that we need one another? Ask yourself that question. Do you believe and do you live as though you need other believers in your life? What do you think? Do you really think that you need other people in your life? And how does that play out I want to go on the record and saying that I don't believe we need each other less than they did. Rather, I think many just as myself sometimes, I think many of us just don't understand how much we need one another. Let's be honest, we live in a culture where it is pretty easy to be self-sufficient. And even as believers, some of us, I know here, have faced some hard times by choosing to follow Christ. I don't want to say that's not the case, but, but for me, honestly, it hasn't been that hard to be a Christian in America. It's been pretty easy. And it's easy to be self-sufficient. We, we It's put in us that pull up your bootstraps, you can do anything, and, and we have all, like, we live in the most wealthy nation in the world. We have more money than other nations. They can't even imagine how much even the, the, the simple of us, of, of us have. The very fact that we have a nice roof over our head that doesn't leak, or maybe you do have one that leaks, so my apology if you do. I'm assuming most of us, if not all of us, live in a very safe place. And it is easy for us to forget that we need one another. And it's in the midst of those that if we're not careful, we can allow our hearts to go sideways. This is why it says do not neglect meeting together because you need encouragement. You need to be stirred up. How many of you just get comfortable sometimes in life? Like you don't get challenged and and sometimes you just find yourself drifting and you just need to kick in the pants sometimes just to, just to get motivated, just to get on the right track. I am so thankful I'm married because there are, there are times where it's just like I get stuck in ruts and I can't get out of them. And I need somebody to come alongside and push me out of the ruts. Help me to see it. Because we can often go blind to those things. If we aren't careful, we can find ourselves hardened to sin. We need one another. Do you realize that there are 59 times where the Bible mentions one another statements in the New Testament? 59 times where we, are, we see the need for each other. So let's just work through some of these. I mean, we've seen here in Hebrews 10 the need to stir up one another to love and good deeds, the, the understanding that we need to encourage one another Have you ever found yourself in a place where God's word just isn't clicking with you? Like you're reading and and it's just like, it's just going in and out. In one ear, out the other. And somebody comes alongside and brings encouragement from God's word. And for whatever reason, God uses that moment to open your eyes to the truth of God's word. I think sometimes God allows us to be blind so that we realize that we need one another. Let's look at scripture and what it has to say about one another's. Romans 12, 12, love one another. We're called to honor one another. I'm going to go through these quickly, so write quickly. Romans 12, 16, live in harmony with one another. Galatians 5, 13, serve one another. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another. It also goes on to to say be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ Christ. Forgave you. We're called to forgive one another. That's a hard one. Ephesians 5, 21, we are called to submit to one another. This is idea of we are called to commit to one another. We need, we, we can't just say, eh, like I'll take and leave what I want. No, we're called to submit. There's a submission to one another, to come under one another so that we are held accountable by each other. Because like I said earlier, we get blinded by our own sins. We need somebody to come alongside to help us see that. 1 Peter 4, show hospitality to one another. James 5, 16 talks about confessing your sins to one another, praying for one another, that what? That you might be healed. Like Here's the reality. Some of us get caught in sin and we're afraid to bring others in because of what they might think of us. But really what James tells us is, look, look, the the main reason why you may still be stuck is because you need to get other brothers and sisters involved to help you. Confess that you may be healed. And we get it tripped up backwards sometimes. Hebrews three twelve and 13, let me just read that for you. It says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, causing you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, so that none of us may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There are times we just have to exhort one another. Colossians 3:12 and 13 and verse 16 it says this, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. <laughs> yes, there are times when we are just called to put up with each other. <laughs> Forgiving one another. If any has a complaint, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There's the call to forgive again. Verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another. What are we called to do? We're called to teach one another. Like, I get taught by you sometimes. That's why... We value small groups so much. Really, this whole section is about the importance of being in community in a small group where you are known by others and you can know others, where you can encourage others. Because listen, it is easy to come on a Sunday morning, sit in the pew, feel good about while we're here, and then go back and change nothing about your life because nobody knows anything. But yet, you've checked the box of coming to church. Why do we need to be involved in each other in a small group setting? It's because this, in this kind of setting, it is me talking and you listening. But co- the, the importance of small group is that we come together, we encourage one another, we get to know one another and where we need to be encouraged. How many times have you had a friend come up to you and say, bro, what's wrong? And you thought you you, thought you were hiding it well. But because you've been doing life, you get to know each other, you get to know each other's habits, you get to know when somebody is off, and then you can encourage them. This is why we do small group together, why we try to try to get to know each other well so that when we're off, we're able to come to one another and help each other through those things, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So there's this call to sing together, to sing to one another. And it seriously is one of my favorite things when I, like, first of all, my biggest problem is I usually only hear my voice because I sing super loud and I just can't help it. And there's sometimes where I just got to stop so that I can listen to you sing and it's a glorious thing where we can encourage one another through, through hymns, through singing. God's given us voices to sing. And even, yes, even those of you who can't carry a tune in a bucket. Like, <laughs> I still love to hear joyful noises coming from God's people. These are just a few things. But it is clear. We aren't simply to be in the proximity of one another. We're not simply to tolerate each other. We need to be committed to one another. And can we just all acknowledge something? It takes discipline to be committed to one another. Because we're all a mess, are we not? Look to somebody next to you and, and say, I'm a mess. Hopefully you didn't say you. <laughs> We're all a mess. And here's the sad reality of life. We are going to offend one another. Hopefully not on purpose. I'm probably going to offend you if I have not offended you already. It's not my goal. I don't think of, okay, how can I, aff- how can I offend Mark Jones? Well, Actually, I tried to do that. Never mind. Uh, let me think of a different example. No. Like, I don't sit here trying to think of how can I offend people. But the reality is sometimes we we live in our flesh, don't we? We're not not carried by the Spirit. We're not living by the Spirit, and we offend one another. And sadly, we we live in a culture where it is so easy to just go to the church down the road. I'm offended, so I'm going to just, I'm gone, I'm leaving. Certainly, there are times to leave churches. There are times where the offense you've tried to go back and confront, and there's no work, and ultimately God leads you away, but... But so often it is just easy that I'm offended and so I'm out. I'm not going to work through this. I'm done. I'm going to assume things and th- I'm going to assume it's true. And then we have friends and, oh, yeah, that friend said, you know, like we get in this mess where, we, where we're we slow to, like, go to one another when we're offended and work things out. Because often, haven't you, have you ever, like, been in a relationship with somebody that, that was damaged years ago and then somehow you come together again and realize that you, you got offended over something that wasn't even true. It was just assumed by the other person. Like let, Let's be committed to one another. Being committed means we work through those hard things. Being committed means we confront in love. We speak the truth in love. And sadly, yes, there'll be times where relationships are broken, where it's time for us to leave a church, but, but let's not do that before we put the hard work in. That's what it means to be committed to one another. So let me ask you, are you committed to other people? Are you committed to the church? Are you committed to a small group? Do you have people that you connect with on a regular basis who know you well and by whom you are known? Where you are encouraging one another, you're exhorting one another, you're admonishing one another. Like we're getting ready to to launch, Lord willing, a new small group in the year that's going to open up some space. I know some of you guys are waiting and, and we're close to being able to do that. I me encourage you, if you're not in a small group, let us know. We'd love to get you connected to other believers so that you can truly grow in being committed to one another. God call, calls us to commit to one another. So, to wrap up the discipline life discussion surrounding the church, let me talk about and finish with a topic that not many want to talk about. Nevertheless, I think it reveals our hearts and how we respond to this. God calls us to give generously to the church. God calls us to give generously to the church. So we're going to step away from Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. But I think one big commitment that God calls us to do is generously give. And notice, it's a capital C church. I'm speaking beyond just gospel community church, but giving to the church. Now, when it comes to tithing, there are a lot of different opinions out there. Is it biblical? Wasn't it just for the old covenant, and when Jesus came, it was done away with? Let's just consider for a few minutes what God's word has to say about tithing. First of all, anybody know what the word tithe means? 10%, right? It means 10%, means a tenth. And we see the first concept of giving in the book of Genesis. why don't you turn with me to Genesis chapter 4. So right at the beginning of your Bible, Genesis chapter 4, let's just just talk a little bit about what it means to tithe. Where did tithe come from? Genesis chapter 4. We're going to look at the first few verses of that chapter. So we see here now, Adam knew Eve, his wife, verse 1 of chapter 4. And she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. And so there's a lot of years that have taken place from verses 1 and 2 uh, to the second part of 2. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the grounds. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the grounds. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So we don't, we don't see yet here of any command to give to the Lord, but, but here is this offering that they are presenting to the Lord. They were giving this. The first explicit reference to the word tithe is found in Genesis 14. So just turn, uh, don't worry about turning there. We, what we see in chapter 14 of Genesis is Abraham gives Melchizedek, who is the king of Salem, a tenth, or a tithe of everything. And then in Genesis 28, Jacob gives God a full tenth. And by the time we get to Leviticus, we see that the law of God is clear on giving a tenth to God and that it belongs to the Lord alone. Not, in the Old Testament especially, God takes the tithe very seriously. Turn with me now to Malachi. Malachi. That's going to be, like, where is Malachi? That's a, that's a fun one, to find Malachi. And Malachi is actually the last book of the Old Testament. And here's what we see in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6. For I the Lord do not change, therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, How have we robbed God? You, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. So what's going on here? They they were not giving the Lord the tenth, the tithe that belonged to him. So they're calling him, you need to give this and, and see if I don't open up the floodgates for you. See if I don't not, not provide abundantly for you if you give. God takes tithing very seriously, especially here in the Old Testament. So some of you may be saying, okay. But this is all in the Old Testament. Aren't we under a new covenant? Well, what did Jesus teach about the tithe? I think that's a great question, don't you? Like, what did Jesus say about that? Let's just look at a passage or two about that. First of all, consider Matthew 23:23. 23, 23. This is Jesus speaking. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. What's Jesus saying here? It's like, oh great, you give a tithe of these things, but you are are neglecting these things that are far more important. And what does he say? Focus, do the things that are far more important without neglecting the former. So without neglecting the tithe, do these other greater things of the law. Notice Jesus doesn't criticize their tithing of giving certain things. In fact, he said that they should have followed the weightier matters of the law. Now, now, some people have argued that Jesus is addressing sh- uh, strictly the scribes and the Pharisees. who were still under the, the Old Covenant. But the chapter 23 begins with Jesus addressing the, clou- the crowds and his disciples. That's what verse 1 says. He, he was addressing his disciples as well. So here's the thing. Jesus confronted other parts of the law saying they no longer needed to be followed. So turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, we see Jesus addressing a certain thing that used to be part of the law that he's saying it, it no longer matters. What I once called clean is now clean. Mark 7, verse 18 and 19. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not in his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. Amen, if you're a bacon lover to that. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, some of the, the laws kept you from eating certain food. Like, you couldn't eat pig. And yet Jesus is declaring here, look, that's the old covenant. That's done away with. You can eat whatever you want. There's freedom for you. So if, if Jesus confronts that, and says that is no longer good, then then why doesn't he say that about the tithe as well? We, we, We just don't see that taking place. And so for me personally, I hold that God still calls us to give, to tithe, and our family has committed to that our whole marriage. Now perhaps you disagree. There are people who would still disagree, and I understand that. And if that is you, let us just consider some other New Testament passages that speak to being Generous givers. Turn with me now to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We see here in verse 6. I might have the wrong chapter here. I think we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, my apology to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, it says, it talk, this is talking about a cheerful giver. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We see here this call to be generous. So if you want to argue on whether or not tithe is not biblical, okay, let's look at what Scripture says about being generous, about giving to those who are in need. God has dealt with us bountifully, and so therefore we are to give bountifully. 2 Corinthians or 1 Timothy 5, turn with me there real quick. 1 Timothy 5, I told you, I'm going to take you everywhere here. 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18. This is speaking of caring for those who lead the church, for pastors, for elders. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his Wages. So this is a call to support the local church. But listen, giving is not just for the church specifically. We are called to be generous in the community, to be generous to those who are in need around us. First Corinthians six verses seventeen and eighteen says this: As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. 2 Corinthians 8, verses 1 through 4. Let me just read that for us. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the church of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So here you got this church who is desperately poor. Extreme poverty, poverty, but yet overflowed in wealth of generosity. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us to earn us begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Isn't that amazing? You have these desperately poor people who are begging for the chance to provide for those in need. They're like, I don't care what our situation is. We want to help. You can't stop us. That's, it almost feels like they're like, like they're like pumping the brakes. Like, hold on a second. You guys got to take care of your own needs. Like, no, please, don't rob us of being able to help the saints. Like, there's just this, this overwhelming desire to want to help. Those around them I think, hopefully we can all agree that God, at minimum, calls us to be generous with what He has given us. Let me just talk about five reasons why we should give. Number one: give, giving reminds you everything you have is from the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. Shining from the Father of light. Some of you are put in positions, not because you're amazing, but because you have an amazing God who wants to use the gifts and the talents that you have for his glory. And I see people in the church, in our church, doing that. Praise the Lord. But everything that we have is a gift. Some of us have been given super intelligence to be able to lead a business. To be able to handle finances. And God has richly blessed you so that you can generously give. Here's another reason to give. Giving helps take your eyes off of self. I know sometimes I just need to have my eyes off myself and realize there are people who are in greater need. And to be able to give reminds me, Lord, you've given me so much. And God, I just need to be thinking of others and not myself. Giving helps fight the idol of money. Now, true or false, money is the root of all kinds of evil. True or False. False. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Money is not evil in and of itself, but the love of it is. And and giving reminds us that I can't hold on to this. I have to let this go. I can't hold on to this. The question we have to ask ourselves is, is do we have a grip on money or does money have a grip on us? Giving helps fight this love of money that we could be tempted to. Fourth thing there. Five reasons to give. I, b- giving is biblical. Giving is biblical. And listen, I, like we read Malachi and some people want to dismiss it as the Old Testament, but here's a fact in my life. The Bible says that the righteous are never left begging for bread. And, and I can tell you, we've been faithful to give for all of our marriage. And we have seen God provide in ways where we thought we had nothing. We are not abundantly blessed beyond measure with thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank account. But you know what? We've never gone without bread. We've never gone without having our needs met. Giving is biblical. Uh, last thing, and we could, I'm sure we could come up with multiple reasons why, but here's one. Giving helps advance the kingdom. You know, one of the reasons why ministry doesn't move on is because there's not enough financial support. Let, let me just say this, though, from the get-go. I feel like in, in, in many senses I am preaching to the choir when it comes to our church in general. Now, I have no idea what individuals give, but what I do know is that you guys faithfully give, that you guys provide well. I've seen when needs come up and we present them to you to meet needs in our church, we have been able to help people in dire needs, and that's because of the faithfulness of you. So let me just say, like, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir. I feel like this is something you already know. But if you are not someone who has been giving, let, let me remind you, let me point you to Scripture, what God calls for us to have generous hearts. So whether you're going to give to gospel community or not, are you giving to those in need? Do you have a generous heart? Or, do you, or are you so consumed by your money that you, have, you, you struggle and get angry when the church asks for money? Like, consider The church that gave and begged to give in 2 Corinthians 8, it just blows my mind out of their extreme poverty. They overflowed in a wealth of generosity that they they gave beyond their means. May that challenge you in those things. Are you a generous person? Do you support the church? Do you give to others in need? Do you have a hold of the money God has gifted you, or does the money have a hold on you? Let me remind you when it comes to giving of what we read already. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 and 7. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, For God loves a cheerful giver. Giving is not about the amount as much as it is about the matter of the hearts. Are you giving from a place of cheerfulness? It's your joy to give to that family in need. It's your pleasure to help out. So brothers and sisters, let me ask you. Are you living a disciplined life when it comes to the church? Are you committed to the gathering of God's people? Are you committed to God's people? And then are you a generous giver? Let me leave you with some action steps as we leave today. First of all, let me encourage you, memorize Hebrews 10, 24, and 25. What a great passage to hold in your heart! If you've already got that one memorized, I encourage you to memorize 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, which I just read. Let that be something that you consider I uh, encourage you, second thing there, if you want to just read further into this, read 2 Corinthians 8. And honestly, we could throw verse, chapter 9 in there as well. Both of those chapters just speak a lot about generosity, these Christians who gave beyond their means. What an amazing example. Third thing there, commit yourself to the church and commit yourself to others if you haven't already. And then fourth, just, just ask yourself, and, and I have to ask myself because... I can be, I can have a grip. I can find, I can be tempted to find my security in how much money I have. But are you a generous giver? Do you realize that everything you have is the Lord's anyway? It's his gift to you. Well, as we close, let me invite you to stand as I pray for us this morning. And as you're standing, I I do have one final announcement that I want us to be aware of. In light of giving, on December 18th, we are going to collect that morning an end-of-the-year giving. And here's what it's going to go toward. It's not going to go directly to Gospel Community Church. Uh, It's going to be divvied out amongst a few different areas. Uh, First thing is we have a couple different church plants that we are supporting you know Brad McCohen, uh, who's planting in Indy. We're going to give a portion to him and his church, Mercy Hill Chapel. They're looking to launch sometime early, 2023. There's a lot of things that go into uh, resources that are needed to order to launch, so we want to help support them in that. Uh, number two, like we are helping Luis, Pastor Luis, plant the church. I think in Spanish it's Church of the City. Uh, and I don't know how to say that in Spanish, so don't ask me. <laughs> uh, but we want to help support them as well as they continue their endeavors uh, to, do, to support them. Uh, we also want to, to make sure we're able to care for needs in our body. There are some needs that have arisen, um, and we want to help care for the people in our church and then also some local missions. If there's, if there's a supply afterwards, we want to help support the local missions that we are already supporting. So, again, uh, what we'll do is we'll collect the offering on December 18th. If you're writing a check, this is above and beyond your normal tithe, given just right end of the year giving. And we'll make sure that goes into that bucket to where we can distribute those to the ministries around us. Again, and that's not going to directly help us. We're gonna, it's going to help us support those around us. So thank you, church, for your generosity um, and then as we close, always just know that we're up here willing to pray for you if you need it. Uh, please don't hesitate to do that, but let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for your grace and your mercy, Lord. We, we do have so much to be thankful for. Father, you've taken care of our greatest problem, our sin. You paid for it on the cross. And Father, you've rescued us so that we would be Part of a local body of believers. And so I pray, Lord, if there be any here who have been wishy-washy or unsure, God, would 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 you move in their hearts that they would just truly commit to the gathering of your people? And not only commit to the gathering, not only commit to be in the presence of others, but, Lord, just to truly commit to one another, Lord. That they would have believers in their lives that they could encourage, that they could exhort, that they could admonish, that they could help. And, Lord, that would do, they would do the same for them. God, we need you. We need each other. You've created us for community. Lord, I pray that you would just continually grow our hearts in generosity, Lord. That, that, you, would, that you would maybe even give us wisdom, Lord, how to use our finances well. What are the best places to go, Lord? What, what will advance the kingdom of God the most? Lord, give wisdom to, to us in that, that endeavor. God, thank you for your grace this morning. Lord, remind us that we are the light of the world that a city on a hill cannot be hidden, Lord. So God, would you allow us to let our light shine so that others may see our good works, not for our own glory, but that we can point to your glory alone, God. We desperately need you, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great week.